passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Hey, Browns backers. Thanks again for tuning in to your favorite Browns podcast. And a note that this podcast is a crossover episode with the guys in the cheap seats, where I interview sport business professionals and get insight into their careers and experiences. So today's guest is Vice President for Programming and Development at the Haslam Sports Group, which includes the Columbus Crew and Cleveland Browns, Michelle Powell. Michelle began her new position in April 2021 and is in charge of helping develop plans and ideas to bring in and execute new and exciting events to the Haslam Sports Group venues, which include Historic Crew Stadium, Lower.com Field, and First Energy Stadium. Prior to joining the Haslam Sports Group, Michelle was the Senior VP and General Manager of Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C., working with the Washington Capitals, Georgetown University, Washington Mystics, Washington Wizards, and all other events that took place at the arena. She also spent time with Feld Entertainment and the Washington Wizards prior to the creation of Monumental Sports and Entertainment. Michelle was also a four-year letter winner in track and field at the University of Oregon, where she earned a degree in sports marketing. Before we get there, though, we do have to say a word about our favorite sponsor here at Believe in the Browns, Bet Online. July is just starting. It's heating up. The Stanley Cup Finals are over. Congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning. However, the Euro 2020 Championship, England versus Italy, as a guy with a last name, Campisi, I think you know who I'm rooting for. But from basketball finals, is it the Suns? Is it the Bucks? To Euro 2020, to MLB, plenty of matchups to lay your money on. Prop bets, futures. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So the next tip off, face off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, folks, welcome to the show. Today we have Michelle Powell, who is the VP for Programming and Development at the Haslam Sports Group. The Haslam Sports Group, for those who are not necessarily uh, in the know, uh, represents kind of First Energy Stadium, the Cleveland Browns, uh, Historic Crew Stadium, the new Crew Stadium, and the Columbus Crew, uh, the Haslam Entities. Uh, So, Michelle, how's everything going with you today? Things are great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for being a guest. For those who maybe aren't sure, like, what does programming and development for a sports group mean? Uh, what do you do? I know we know you're new to the role, uh, I believe, two months or so. 
uh, April 2021. So a couple, maybe three months, I guess, or something like that, or closing in on that. Uh, what does this role entail and, and what are your responsibilities and what are you looking to do in, in this uh, new challenge you're taking on? So um, ultimately for event development, you're looking at what else is there outside of the traditional use of the stadium or the traditional use of the facility. So obviously First Energy Stadium is, is the home to the Browns. And uh, Historic Crew Stadium was the home to the Columbus Crew soccer. Um, now, New Crew Stadium, which is lower.com field, which was just named, that's going to be the home to the Columbus Crew. So what it, what else can there be? So whether it be concerts, whether it be, um, you know, Monster Truck, Supercross, what other events are out there? Um, looking at how do you expand your footprint and how do you have more events coming to the facility? Okay. Now, when you're looking at that, since... You're in Ohio and and you have open air facilities. It, it does limit your uh, potential. And then with the Browns having a very specific season, uh, that also then limits your potential. I think crew, you could do a little more kind of, yes, they have their specific season, but uh, I, I don't know if they're groundskeepers are quite as anal as maybe I'm sure they are, but uh, maybe ownership allows a little more flexibility with an MLS stadium. How do you try to get events that would fit? We'll start first with a first energy stadium, right? Because the capacity is just so big. So I think it's more than just your major concerts, right? It's also our organization is very committed to the community as well. So it's also looking at community events, whether it be camps, whether it be doing more tournament, like what else can be done? What other types of events, whether it be graduations, what what is in the community? What can we do be doing working with um, the Ohio Sports, Ohio um, High School Athletic Association? What else can we be doing to try to get more community involved? Not just everything has to be grand and huge and money-making, um, so large. It has to be what else can we be doing to actively fill and have less dark days. So I think that's the overall scope of what my role is, is how do we activate on a daily basis? And it can also be just also our other spaces because we have so many different hospitality spaces. We have concourses. We have so many other things. Um, you know, Do you create your own little festivals? Do, like, What is it that becomes an activation for our locations? Yeah, because that's what I was going to ask. Those secondary type of events that are maybe a little smaller. I know when I was in Tampa, uh, the the club levels was the the way the concourse was laid out and the way the spacing was in the club level. There was a great open area. They used to host proms and all those types of things. We used to do our you know NFL one on one clinics up there. So and that's that's what you'll see. We have a lot of that stuff already. But then again, how do you continue to make yourself more relevant? And that's down in, in Columbus, it's actually a little bit different because the MLS season is actually longer than anything. I mean, that season's from March until October, November. So, and that soccer field or pitch is, is just as prestigious, <laughs> if not more, as the NFL football uh, field is. So um, that, you know, that's going to create its own challenges. But again, you have a brand new stadium. You have, they have a huge plaza that has 2000 um, capacity for 2000. So how do you activate there? You know, and again, it's more than just doing your runs or your five Ks and your half marathons and what else can be done? You know, is it something every Friday night? Is it something every Saturday night? Like how do you become integral in the community? Something that is consistent. Um, but you're right. I mean, there is going to still be a limited element of it because you still are in Ohio and it is obviously certain parts of the year make it a little bit more challenging, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that you then don't look at something for the holiday time frame, especially in Columbus when those stadiums aren't activated. Is there something during the holiday season that you then activate in those stadiums? 
different things you can look at. Okay. So prior to this role, you were the senior VP and general manager for Capital One Arena down in DC. So you felt that impact of our past kind of, you know, 15 months of of COVID. Uh, so this will be the only question I ask about it, but I'm sure we might refer to it later. But what was the impact for you with, hey, you know, events being canceled? And then also you were part of kind of that slow ramp up a little bit. So what was that transition like at both parts for you? I mean, other than the word obviously surreal that I think everyone continues to say, I mean, one day you were having events and then the next day it was it shut, was shut down, you know. I mean, I think we can all think about the moment when, you know, I was sitting at home watching the NBA game and you watched it stop and all of us started texting each other and saying, you know, pretty much this is it. We know we're not we know we're not playing um, and having the conversations with certain promoters being like we're postponing your event on, you know, two nights later and in some cases arguing with people and saying, well, what do you mean? And, you know, getting into debates on that. Um, and I think at first you thought, you know, it'll be a month, maybe two, but you surely didn't think it was going to be 15 months. Um, and then as you continue to go on and you continue to understand that there was just so much uncertainty, um, you know, it, it obviously just became like, what is this? What's next? What's going to happen? And then to have to go through, you know, layoffs, furloughs, all of those conversations where in an industry where we were a top 10 facility, we never even considered that. I mean, we were constantly slammed, constantly busy, 225 events a year. You could never breathe. But yet the entire time you were going through that, you were also constantly planning for the restart that at any point in time, you didn't know when that could happen because, you know, the NBA and NHL constantly were talking about coming back without fans. So it was, there was never a stop. Um, but also at Capital One Arena, we ended up doing a temporary sports book out of our facility and down in our box office. Uh, William Hill ended up doing a, they were going to be um, opening a full sports book in our facility. And so in the meantime, we did a temporary one out of our box office because we weren't using it. We were closed. And you would have never seen so much business in your life. The entire city of Washington, D.C. was pretty much shut down. And we had lines around our building for people to bet. Um, so you still were then going through these protocols of keeping people distance, but yet watching just people after people after people coming in when everything else was shut down. And then you started getting into, you knew the NBA was going to come back. You knew December 25th, they weren't going to, they were gonna, <laughs> not going to hit that. And then what was the NHL going to do? And you're trying to ramp up and the NBA protocols were a beast. I mean, to try to get what they needed to get done. And the NHL was nothing in comparison because you already had it. Um, you know, and doing all that without a lot of staff because you still had no revenue coming in and you really had no idea when you were going to get your staff back. And in DC, we were having, unlike a lot of some States, I think Ohio being one of them, we had no prospect of fans coming back anytime soon. So it was just a sit and wait every day. Something would change and sometimes nothing would change for people that plan, let alone talking to promoters and watching tours reroute five, six, seven, eight, nine times and people holding dates and dates and dates and dates and just being so frustrated because you didn't know what was going to happen. Now, what now? What was that process like, right? Because, yeah, you, if you're a concert tour, if you're a Disney on ice, if you're whatever, you're constantly trying to make sure that as soon as things are open and we can get back on the road, we're going to try to get back on the road we, if we can because we have to make money as well. How did you go about 
trying to book a calendar that was not even in the future, but was kind of mm-hmm. not real, right? It, I mean, at any moment it could have started, um, but at any moment it could have been, oh man, that now that date we had scheduled for March 17th is no longer going to take place. And we're booked. So you guys, you know, hey, you're if you're coming through this area, you're not coming here until we're booked until June 17th. How, how did you manage that with the promoters who I'm sure you've obviously achieving the success you've achieved? You had good relationships with them. Yeah. And the same thing for them. How do how was that work process? Um, I mean, I'm sure the level of stress was high. Was everybody kind of trying to just make the best of it? Or were there maybe some instances, you don't have to name names, where uh, <laughs> <laughs> things were got a little dicey, shall we say? I think that was probably the most frustrating thing because you went from everybody, you know, rerouting into the fall originally of 21, right? And then fall of 21, you started to see that that was falling apart. Uh, I'm sorry, fall of 20. Yeah. And then yeah. everything started to fall apart. And that clearly wasn't going to happen. So then everyone started pushing to fall of 20, uh, to spring of 21. And spring of 21, like you couldn't find a single date on your calendar. And then you're still battling with the NBA and NHL because you had to hold the dates for them. And then all of a sudden that started to become not realistic. So then everybody started targeting the summer of 21. And then that started even becoming unrealistic. So then everybody kind of just scratched that. And then it became a huge push to go to the fall of 21. Um, But then you started seeing that become questionable. And then you really saw the push that everyone was just like, you know what, we're going to punt and we're going to wait till 2022. And then I've never seen so many tourists try to get into the first quarter of 2022. But again, you're going to be in NHL and you have to hold a certain amount of dates for them. And you know, in a facility like Cap One Arena, you can't give up that many dates. You just don't have the capability because you have to hold, and because they also have Georgetown. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you have three teams and you have to hold a certain amount of dates. And so you can't give every concert and every tour the, the dates they want. And everybody all of a sudden was deciding they were going to tour. So um, then the summer and then like it just kept, it just kept snowballing. Right. And nobody knew where they were really going to fall. And everybody, yes, wanted to be the first one to play, but also was Larry to be the first one to play. Um, And no one wanted to play until the team started playing with fans because they wanted to make sure you went through all of your protocols and were able to make sure your building was safe before that. So it was just this constant. And I mean, I don't know if I've ever talked to promoters and watched them reroute shows as much. And I mean, they were frustrated, but they also had, I mean, that side of the business was decimated. They had so many furloughs layoffs. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see where everybody shakes out because all of a sudden, everybody was gone. I mean, those agencies, between the agencies and the promoters, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see where everyone shakes out. So it's just been that side of our business is really, unlike the sports teams where they held on because they were still playing, the, the the concert side and the family show side and all of that really, really took a massive hit because they couldn't go out. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the hospitality industry as well. Right. You know, it's just, yeah. And all those kind of supporting industries to the larger sport industry kind of, you know, when you have billionaire owners, it helps a little bit to modify or mollify some of that type of stuff. So can you talk a little bit about just the booking process, right? Especially when you're in an arena, like, you know, Capital One Arena, where you mentioned, right, you have Georgetown, unfortunately, right? Uh, The Syracuse one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, you have, you know, 
WNBA and you had a great team down there in the Mystics, right? Championship caliber team, won a championship. You had the the Capitals NHL, right? Won their championship recently. Uh, you have the Wizards who had some up and down years, uh, but had some fairly decent years um, while you were there. So you're looking at not only teams that are playing the regular season games, but you're holding those dates also for playoffs extended, which may or may not happen, right? Because a couple of years, maybe you get knocked out early or maybe you make a run to the Stanley Cup Finals. So you still have to book or not book, but hold those dates. How does that whole process work when you're dealing then with outside events that you're trying to bring in, whether it's a concert, whether it's, you know, some kind of festival, whatever wants to be in your arena on that day. How do you manage that? And, and what's that process like for probably the 99.9% of fans who have no idea how this works? It causes you a lot of stress and um, it, you know, it's not by no means is it a fun process. Um, it's not fun. And, uh, in any aspect of it. So when you're dealing, you know, the NBA and the NHL require you to hold mid-April through mid-June on a normal season, forget this season, because obviously you have to take out the dates, but mid-April through mid-June, they're, they have first holds on every date in that time frame, um, And it's all based on TV. Let's, let's be yeah. very frank. Everything is based on the television, television schedule. So, um, but you can't also shut down your building from a concert side because there's still things touring. Um, so you run into this, do you risk and reward? Do you book shows? Do you not book shows? Um, so if you book a show and then your team needs to date, you'll hear in the press and the media, oh, well, you didn't have confidence your team would make it that far. If you don't book shows and your team falls out of the playoffs, doesn't even make the playoffs, then everyone's looking at you saying, well, why don't we have anything? You should have had something. Can you now go out and book something now in the next 15 days? Well, that doesn't happen. I mean, it, as much as people want you to do it, there's no... 15 day solution. Right. So, um, so everyone looks at you with a problem and says, <laughs> what, where, what happened here? Um, and to be frank, like, I, I mean, I got burned, uh, you know, I booked a show, um, in November of a year and, uh, knew very well that the NHL works with you a little bit more than the NBA does. The NBA, I swear they find that one date on your calendar that you have and they, <laughs> and they need it and they don't move off of it and they, they kill you. And they know that. And my, my friends at the NBA know that I, that I love them so much. Um, but I booked, <laughs> I booked a show. I booked a show in November. Our team was like two and eleven, and you know, I went to the the our ownership and said, "Hey, this is you know, it was a massive tour, and and um, we assumed we would have played. I think LeBron either was on Cleveland or Miami at that point, and I was like, oh, well, if if we even make the playoffs, we'll be an eight seed. We'll get knocked out in the first round. Life will go on. Well, we started making a run. We ended up at like the f fifth or sixth seed. We ended up winning the first round, and I had predicted this was going to be round." Six, uh, round two, game six or seven, and it was round two, game six. We ended up winning the first round, got into the second round, and I'll be darned if it wasn't round two, game six. And of course, we needed the date, and so now I'm having to negotiate out of and move the date from a concert. Tried everything underneath the sun, had to switch with another city, became a massive deal. Um, and it was one of the very few that we normally make people, we make a concert move um, in the sense of that it's their in their contract, yeah. they have to move. But this was such a large show and, and the promoter himself was like, we don't, we just won't play you. So we took the, we took the risk on it and obviously got burned. So from that point forward, that was about eight years ago. From that point forward, every contract had a contingency date. You had to move at your own risk. Now in DC, we were able to do that because, you know, even when that promoter came back and he was like, well, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, you yourself burned me. Like, it's yeah. never going to happen again. Yeah. So, um, you know, we laugh about it now. I learned about private jets and flying an artist <laughs> from here to New York City. You know, like, I mean, I was responsible for a lot of things, but 
Um, it was painful to say the least. We had moved numerous games and numerous concerts after that point because we, you know, people had to move. Um, the bigger the city, you're able to get away with some of that stuff. You know, I used to joke that because of Cleveland, um, the NBA put in, I think it was either their Taylor Swift or WWE rule because they ended up with a Taylor Swift or WWE in between two NBA finals games. And the, the NBA doesn't want to, they're not going to move out in between games. And now all of a sudden the next year's memos, there was like this, we will not move out. It's all of this money if you had to move out. And that was, I called it the Cleveland rule because they got burned. Yeah in Cleveland. And that was all of a sudden you saw the memo change the next year. Um, so it all depends on kind of like every year you get something different from the leagues, but you have to, you have to book. Cause if you don't, you know, and you stress on it. I mean, look at you stress on it every year when the caps make a run, but I mean, how many times do you win the Stanley cup? Yeah. How many times do you win go to the NBA finals? Now, sometimes your teams are the teams that make those runs every year. Um, hockey is the worst cause it's a tip of a puck and yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean the best team always wins. I mean, <laughs> if you watch hockey, you know that. If um, basketball, usually you're going to usually see the top four teams be in contention in most cases. Yeah, hockey that eighth seed could easily just get hot with a hot goalie and you could run it. Yeah, yeah. I think the most memorable one I think was what ten or fifteen years ago when the uh, when the Lakers were playing the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals and the WWE yeah. had to move. Oh. And they made a, I mean, oh. they made a whole show of it, oh, right? And then they moved, I mean, they, yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like a concert promoter's probably not going to do that. So that's why it's the most memorable because it was so, it was I mean, they went, yeah. And they went from Colorado to Correct. LA because they knew LA was going to be open because they had held the date. Correct. And so it worked out perfectly for them. They had somebody come out like a Nuggets jersey and all this stuff. I mean, it was great. And But yeah, you're thinking about, oh man, that booking, that booker, like just, ah, oh, you gotta, oh. but you're not going to not book the WWE, especially at that point, like the Nuggets were in a probably similar boat to the Wizards where it's like, hey, you know what? We're a good team, but we're probably out in the first or second yes. round. We're not making the Western Conference yeah, Finals. Yeah, like you're rebuilding and you're trying, like you're happy to get yeah. into the playoffs. Like, and then they did, and oh yeah, so the, so all of those, uh, you know, I've dealt with my friends that do you it against your team too. And it, I mean, you don't want to say it, but you're like, it's okay if we lose this game. But you know, like you're just sitting there. Sometimes you're like, I don't know what to do because I mean, it's just it happens. It happens all the time. Yeah, and and that's a tough part of the business is you know just just trying to Manager. to do that and and when you have you know like you were saying when you're talking 250 days a year um, yeah people don't understand how often these facilities and venues are in use and uh, you know because they go and it's there when Correct. their events are Correct. and that's all they're paying attention Correct. to so so talk a little bit about how did you move because after you graduated college. You move into kind of a marketing and sales type role. Yep. And then you move over to kind of the booking and events side. So talk a little bit about your marketing roles um, with Feld and, and with the Wizards and Washington Sports Entertainment, which then became, you know, monumental and all of that. So a similar group, but then you make that transition. So what were your early years like? And then what was that transition like and, and why? So I started um, out of college. I went and I got uh, the position with Feld as a marketing sales manager, the promoter. And I uh, was in Texas. I traveled all the time. I have literally gone to every single small town in Texas that has a building. So <laughs> if you name it, I have been there. Um, plus Oklahoma and Utah and Kansas and pretty much anywhere in that area. And um, 
I loved it. You know, I mean, it was in definitely my job was to put butts in seats. I mean, that was the bottom line. So understood group sales and marketing and advertising and PR and everything aspect of that. And you were responsible for your town. So as a 22, 23, 24 year old, you were given budgets from $30,000 to $100,000, depending on the size of your town. And you were in charge. I mean, and no greater experience than that. Um, got promoted up to Washington, D.C., started doing the D.C. Baltimore market. And after that, I ended up um, getting a job with a, as a director of marketing for the Washington Wizards. Uh, so if you asked me in college what did I want to do, I would have told you I wanted to be a director of marketing for a sports team. So when I got that at 25, 26 years old, then the question is, what's next? Um, but I also realized at that time I didn't really like marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, but I didn't, I saw where marketing was going. So this is, and most people on the, that were probably listening to this could never even imagine this world, but this was before Facebook. This was before any social media happened. There was no Instagram. There was none of that stuff. And I am not at all engaged in any of that. It's just not who I ever have been. Um, and it, that's, you could clearly see where that was going. I love the analysis of media campaigns, but like TV and outdoor, like that stuff I very much so enjoyed, but like trying to figure out everything and having people track me down on internet and like re, you know, retarget me was literally creepy to me. So it was not something I was definitely going to fall for. But what I did love when I was with Feld, I absolutely loved the settlements. I loved the contracts. I loved the negotiation of that because the promoter was always there, you represented every aspect of it. So when you came to town, you were the point person for everything. You were the point person between the show and the building. You were the point person for corporate and the show. So you were the person. Um, and I loved settling the shows. I loved the financials behind it. I loved the contracts. So, and I wanted to go into routing and tours, which is Feld's main main department that does all of that. But they had kind of were like, you need to kind of get experience, go out before you come back in. So by going to Washington Sports and Entertainment, that was deemed my experience. Uh, still in marketing. Um, and so when something opened up and fell routing and tours, I went back and I ended up going back there for about four years and um, hundred contracts a year, every building in the country from stadiums to theaters, to arenas. Um, and that, at that time, that's when they purchased, Feld had purchased Monster Jam, Supercross, Arena Cross, and at that time, Freestyle Motocross. So now I'm dealing with stadiums and I'm dealing with bringing um, Monster Jam and Supercross into stadiums, which I'd obviously never really worked with, instead of talking about, you know, elephants and dumpsters and, and things like that. Now I'm talking about dirt and dumpsters and, and different aspects of things. Um, so I learned a whole different side of the business and uh, did that. And then I got a phone call from um, now Monumental Sports and Entertainment because uh, they, uh, Ted Leonsis had purchased the company and had purchased the building. And they had asked me if I wanted to come back in their booking role. And, you know, funny enough, when my dad at that time boss had called me, he was like, hey, would you be interested? And I was like, I vowed I would never go back to an arena just because of how busy it is and working so many nights and so many weekends. Um, and I was like, you do know I know nothing about the music industry. And I'm really not a music person. I'm a sports person through and through. And he's like, uh, I got it. I can help you with that. You're going to learn it all. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, but it's more for the negotiation, the person you are, how you deal with people, how you how you can do this. And I was like. Okay, like if you're sure, um, 10 years later, you know, obviously booking eventually the AGM and then eventually the GM of position. So um, that was kind of my path. And but, you know, as you kept taking it on and learning it, and you know, one of the very first things, my very first boss when I was with Feld Entertainment, he made me go live on a circus train. 
so his analysis one month in, he was like, you're going off. And like literally right after Christmas, I started in mid-November. Right after Christmas, he sent me to go down to Tampa and I did load-ins, load-outs of Lakeland, Tampa, and then St. Pete when the St. Pete building was still there. And he's like, I want you hooking wagons, living on the train. And I want you doing the ops. And I was, I was a marketing crowd. I mean, what do you mean? <laughs> and like two in the morning. What is this manual labor? <laughs> and I mean, look at I was an athlete, so I can do manual labor, but I was like, what the heck is this? But it was to learn operations, to learn what everybody on the road did and the show did, and to understand more than just my job. And I think that concept continued to carry through. So you started learning, because if not, I wouldn't have been good in rounding and tours, and I wouldn't have been good in a lot of the other things because it started exposing you to the full business. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't an idiot just standing there being like, I don't really understand this. Oh no, I understand rigging. I understand how to, I understand dimensions. I understand weight loads. Yeah. And, and that's the funny thing. Like people think, oh, well, at least it's not that far from like Tampa to Lakeland or St. Pete to Tampa. <laughs> it's like, it, it might not necessarily be that far, but guess what? Cause as a guy who moved a half a mile down the road, people are always like, oh, that's so great. And I was like, you know, I still had to load everything into my van and then I still had to unload it all and guess what I didn't even get like a 20 minute ride to kind of like relax it's like no I was like literally right there again and so it doesn't matter how far the travel is for some of those types of things you're still putting everything in and you're still then taking it back out setting it back up I mean so you know yeah and it's like yes it's it's nice maybe that the drive is not super super far to to an extent um, because then you're not, you have a little more time in the day to, to hopefully you can be maybe a little more leisurely, um, in maybe. your unloading, as I said, maybe, <laughs> you know, if, if your ride's only 30 miles versus if it's five hours, right. But you still have to do all of that stuff. Yeah. And I think, yeah, having an and understanding. Circus wagons only can go so fast on a road. They don't drive 80 miles an hour down the road. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason you're passing that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. There's a big difference. Yeah, driving with those monster <laughs> hitches and all of that. Yeah, no, that is, I mean, but that's, that's a, that had to be an awesome experience. It was. And I mean, I literally lived on the circus train, spent New Year's Eve on the circus train and met lots of, you know, the Russian troops and all of these different people. And they definitely spend their New Year's Eve a little bit different. <laughs> Again, you learn different things, you meet different people. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. So, so to kind of piggyback a little bit off of that, What's your best skill or attribute? What's the thing that makes Michelle successful? Because you've been in these various different roles. You've learned a lot of different things. What's the thing that that makes you successful? I'm willing to jump in for anything. I think that's what I would tell most people is, um, is, you know, how can I help? What can I learn? How can I do anything? I'm extremely organized and and diligent about staying on task and, and getting things done. But, you know, how can I help? Where can I jump in? And that's usually... Sometimes it's a little too much in the sense, that, <laughs> you know, I'm the first first one and last one to leave a lot of times, especially in my old job, but um, because I would take on too much, but it, it just was the way I would work. And it, that's how I, I really look at things of like, how can I help? How can I learn? And that's just how I look at things of how do I, how do I keep improving myself? Okay. Now you mentioned it a little bit. You were a student athlete at the university of Oregon, uh, a sports marketing major in their, in their school of business. Uh, what was your experience in Eugene like and and your experience as a student athlete there? Um, you know, it, when you look back now, I mean, it seems like it's forever ago. But, um, you know, I was always an athlete and I always actually played basketball growing up. And so then I did track and field in college. And um, someone had told me, you know, you won't 
go, you won't be happy if you're not being an athlete and doing something. So um, that was what I, I walked on and then eventually got a scholarship there. So that was, was great. And um, again, it kind of keeps you on a schedule when everybody else was going off and doing whatever and the perks of being a college athlete. I mean, look at, they weren't, you know, I was happy to get the sneakers and the clothes and study hall. And when I couldn't pass my crazy math class or my crazy decision science class and I needed, you know, someone to sit here and go over it over and again with me to like learn it. Someone had tutors to help me learn it and learning how to write in college. I had, you know, tutors to sit there and rip apart my papers, which I took advantage of. There's no doubt about it, but um, it was, it was great. I mean, to be able to travel in college and go to all the different universities, like, you know, it's just something I never would have dreamed of being able to do. And, um, but it also kept you disciplined and which is, was, was also something I really, really liked. And then it also gave me, you know, exposure. Just, I had all of my athletic friends and I had also my normal friends. Cause you know, my freshman year, I was in a normal dorm with everybody else. And it just was, it was great. Like I had just a great group of different people to, to kind of hang out with. So I, I really enjoyed my time at Oregon. Oregon's a great campus and it's just, it was a really good time in my life. Okay. Outside of your home track. All right. Which is, <laughs> which well, is probably, awesome. which is awesome and even more awesome now with some of the recent renovations. So uh, outside of that, you know, when the U S track and field hosts their trials, it like, you know, you're at a place yes. that has a great facility. So, so outside of your home facility, uh, what was one of your, what was your favorite facility to compete at and why? My favorite other university would have been Stanford. I just love Stanford's campus. And I just love the, the, their, I like their facilities. Um, and I, I just really liked going to Stanford. That was probably every time we went to Wazoo, it snowed. <laughs> so, um, home for me was Seattle. So, but every time we went to Wazoo, it snowed. Um, and Arizona was always just so darn hot. So for me, it was always Stanford. Stanford's campus was gorgeous. I'd love to just walk around that campus. Yeah, it is. When so, we were on our little trip, yeah, we went out, we went to the campus, and yeah, I mean their facilities, oh, just the building, everything, everything the whole, yeah, Stanford. the whole campus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's pretty much that's pretty much end of discussion right there. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Okay. So, so usually when I do these, um, there's, there's a little bit of a break and, and it'll ask you some kind of, uh, random questions. And, and since you were in DC for a majority of your time, I'm not going to give you, you know, you're not going to have to give me Cleveland answers as you've oh. only been here for a few months. Um, so, I, I, I will, I will bypass that, but, you know, having spent, you know, a good portion of, you know, 15, 16, 17 years there in, in DC. I'm, I'm figuring you can answer these ones from a DC standpoint. Uh, if we're to go to lunch in DC, mm-hmm. where are we going and what are we getting? Oh, in DC. Or in the, in the area, I'm right? A, the I'm greater a, DC area. How about I'm that? an Annapolis person. I love to go to Annapolis and I always love to get seafood. Okay. Is there a specific place that you prefer or a specific uh, meal? Or are you? Uh... I'm an oyster person. So, okay. And most people will tell you crabs, but I'm an oyster person. So it's okay. got to be oysters. Okay. Any location? Um, There's a bunch, but I usually go to the boatyard. Okay. All right. Now, did you go to games there? Did you go to some games at Annapolis at the Naval Academy? I did not. Um, I did not actually go there. Um, drove by a lot when they were playing, but not, I, and I did actually not go to the, when with the Caps played in their facility, I did not go to oh, the okay. either. Um, I don't know why I didn't, but I, yeah. So, but no, I love that. It, that's another beautiful campus in a beautiful area. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in Annapolis. Yeah. Annapolis is cool. We, uh, one of our alums here from Baldwin Wallace, um, she's an equipment manager 
yeah. um, for the Naval Academy. One of my favorite uh, places. Yeah. Too. And so when we were there, she, you know, did an interview with her and then she put us on the tour and, you know, my daughters and my wife, we were just, it's awesome. It's an awesome it, place. Yeah. Yeah. And then the little city, it's yeah. just so quaint. It's just, no, it's, it's perfect. No, it's a great place. It's perfect. That's one of my favorite places. Okay. All right. Um, this one's, this one might be tough for you, especially as an arena person where, you know, you do have, uh, 200 and some events. I usually say finish the sentence on Saturday or Sunday mornings. You can usually find me where doing what. So how about this? Maybe on a, on whenever you get a day off, uh, what is, what are your kind of go-to activities or things that you like to do, um, when you're not running an event? Um, I definitely like to go to the gym, but back in DC, there was a trail right across from my house. It was like a nine minute, nine minute, nine mile trail that, um, I'd love to go hiking on. It was just, I like to be outside if it was nice out. Um, and even if it was cold out, it would be nice to go out too. Um, sometimes it was just nice to sleep Yeah, and not even get up. I mean, that was, that happened quite often. Um, but that, that was pretty much. A lot of times it would be sleeping or just going out and working out and just having time by yourself. Okay. That was pretty much the go-tos because there wasn't very often that I got that privilege. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I know. I, I was, when I was younger that I had an opportunity to work uh, at a facility, the one in Raleigh. And, and I was living in Miami at the time and, and working for the hurricanes. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, no, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, Sometimes just sitting in your house is a beautiful yeah, thing. Sitting like, on the porch like or whatever. SID can be crazy at times, but it's definitely not arena events. Yeah. So I was like, eh, I'm good. In the afternoon, my, you will find my husband and I playing cornhole or ping pong. Oh, when there he, you go. He would get home from work, but he works crazy hours too. So um, now that he'll be retiring maybe, but we don't usually do it in the morning. It's usually not till like three or four o'clock in the afternoon when it's happy hour. And that's usually what you'll find us doing those two things that's good that's in the, good in the warm weather it's cornhole and the colder weather it's ping pong we'll have to get you hooked up here uh <laughs> i think a bw student won the inaugural uh cornhole collegiate championships oh. um so maybe we'll get so we'll get a competition going here I a pretty uh, mean cornhole tournament so I've, I've been, that's another one of my hidden secret talents Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, they got, and they got the big board company, Slick Woody's out here in uh, Akron yeah. that makes all the boards. So if, hey, maybe we got an event here. We got a fundraiser mm-hmm. going. I, uh, could, I have run big time cornhole tournaments. I'm so. feeling it. We got, we can put, we can do it inside or outside. We, we, we got the three courts in the gym. We could, uh, on the mods. I'm surprised about my skills on that. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk about that yeah, when we we're done. Um, so how about this? Uh, what are three pet peeves that you have? Personal or professional? Um, entitled people thinking people being entitled, people cracking their knuckles or any body part in front of me drives me insane, and then laziness. But okay. entitlement, if you think you're entitled to anything, that's yeah, I would agree with that. I'm glad I haven't cracked. I don't think I've cracked my knuckles yeah. uh, during this. Sometimes oh, it's uh, <laughs> I, just can't. I usually don't do the full crack. Maybe it's just like a finger crack because you know. Uh, some bent and broken pinkies from the rugby days. Yes, um, so sometimes you gotta you realign there. Cracking your neck and stuff like that will literally send me. Just, yeah. What's something um, that's on your bucket list? Just to travel more. Um, I think, and, it, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to switch, you know, careers. And, and um, my husband and I've started traveling more. Um, 
kind of in the last couple of years hit more places than I think I've hit in my whole life. And, and I think that's what we just want to continue to, to see other places and to just continue to get out and just to find balance with it. Because, I mean, I, I have had no balance in my whole 20 plus years of my career. It's been so work driven, um, which has allowed me to travel the United States to a great extent. Um, but I'd like to see more than the U.S. Yeah. And a lot of those are on work related things but i have done good okay. one of my goals whenever i would travel on work was always one day one off day yeah uh, like, well, or like at least you know do something in every yeah, location yeah. i went um so like we have maps in our house of like with pins of everywhere we've yeah, we been. have the same thing <laughs> and um so my colored pins are very very ex- extensive for the u.s um but we need to kind of make it a little bit more extensive. All right. So where is, where is your favorite place that you've been recently or, you know, in the, you know, recently that you've been allowed, I guess. Uh, so pre COVID. And then uh, where's a place that you really want to go? We both enjoyed Alaska a lot. We also did Iceland, which we did enjoy. Oh, nice. um, we just have, we, we really need to explore Europe a bit. We really haven't done anything that way. So um, I mean, we've done London and stuff like that, but nothing extensive. And I think we would enjoy the history because that's okay. something we would enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of where we need to at least start. Right. So we got a global sport trip in May 23 okay. going to Barcelona, Marseille, Nice, Monte Carlo, Florence and Rome. So, you know, that's that's <laughs> never know. that's that's what I'm looking at. All right. So. Um so to get a little bit back on track, uh, what's a goal you have for yourself personally or professionally or one of each uh, that you want to accomplish in the next year? So if we're sitting here, you know, end of June, beginning of July 2022, what's something you want to say, hey, I have accomplished this? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm fortunate right now because with being with Haslam and, and the position I have is a new position. So I think for me, there's just a lot of opportunity um, for policies, procedures, and just really starting things up. Um, and look, it, it's not it's not a guarantee 100% easy. There's, there's a lot of <laughs> challenges that I have from, you know, again, where we are, um, the demographics of where we are, the size of the market. Like, I'm not in a top 10 market anymore. I'm not in a must-play arena anymore. So I think that there's, um, it's a great challenge, but a great opportunity to see what, what we can put together and how we can build out a good plan. Um, so really just for me developing a plan and, and then seeing how we can continue to st- start working towards executing it. Um, you know, and everybody's going to potentially have different thoughts of what success is. Um, but I have my own thoughts of what success is. Um, and that's, I think for me, you know, getting a good calendar base, getting good policies and procedures and getting then a good plan, I think is where, and I'm a one man team which is, it's, it's mine. So like really developing a, developing a strategy and plan is really what I want to do. Um, so I'm actually very excited for my next year. Talk a little bit about um, how important relationships are in this business and then how you might use those relationships now knowing that, Hey, you know, I am no longer in the DC market that, you know, I'm, I'm in operating in Columbus and Cleveland, but also knowing that they're just not going to play there or do that because, Hey, I really like Michelle. So it's still about making money, but how might you leverage those to uh, enhance what you're able to provide? Yeah. I I mean, this whole industry is nothing but relationships. And I mean, that's, um, that's a big part of it. And I mean, I think when you're in DC, you, even when you have all of that quote unquote 
luxury of power. It, you know, it's great <laughs> to know, but like you also still have to treat people knowing that, you know, it can change tomorrow. Um, and when you're here in, in looking at it, you have to also look at, you always have to be realistic no matter where you are. Right. So I think, you know, when I was in DC and let's say Taylor Swift would, was going to go play outside because she was playing an outdoor tour and my owner would be like, well, why, why is she not playing here? What did we need to do? And I'm like, if she's playing outside, she's playing outside. Like, I'm not going to go make a fool of myself calling that promoter and being like, I'll throw whatever it is to get you here. You have to be realistic about the conversation you're having. Just as you have to be realistic when you're here, you have to understand what you're working with and what the conversation is, because if not, you don't sound, number one, you're not intelligent about it and you're not coming to the conversation the right way. And I think that's the biggest thing. You, you need to understand the right conversations and you need to be coming to the table with the right conversations and figuring out sometimes you're going to get things, sometimes you're not. Um, a lot of the promoters and a lot of the agents, I mean, they know where they want to play. So the question is, is how do you, you, you need to ask that question and why not us? What is the challenge? And be realistic and be okay with hearing sometimes the answer and then say, well, then what do I need to do to move the needle? Um, and sometimes it's money. I mean, a lot of times it's money. That's what it's going to come down to. But what else is there a conversation about? Um, and you just have to be willing to keep having the conversations, keep following up and keep trying to make a difference in it. Um, but yeah, I mean, number one, just information is knowledge in it because you have to know kind of what is out there mm -hmm. and what's realistic and just keep talking. No, that's good. Um, what's if, if you're sitting around with a bunch of, shall we say sport, uh, industry professionals and, you know, maybe you're having some drinks and it's, a uh, People are telling the little, can you top this stories? Um, what's one of your favorite stories? It could be good, bad, whatever, um, from your work life. You don't have to name names. You don't have to name anything. So what's what's a favorite story from your from your work life? I mean, this, the, it's so long. There's so many. Um, I mean, you can go, you can go from artists not showing up and how <laughs> you have to deal with that. You can go from after party entourages where you know you're sitting there going, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And what is your expectation? You don't want lights on in the back room and you don't, because it'll make the ladies feel more comfortable. If I keep the lights off, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, walking into the back rooms and the entourages being like stopping you and, and you're being like, no, 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 I'm, I'm coming in like, because this is my hospitality room. This is going to happen. Um, to, you know, I think for, Two and a half months after a show, I got an email from an agent that just said the words not happy um, because they didn't like the deal after the show for a massive artist. So at Christmas, I sent him a book that said 10,000 reasons to be to be happy. That was his Christmas present. Got an email after that. Still not happy, but, it was <laughs> but we, had a good time. we had a good time laughing about it. Well, that's good um, at least, right? But, you know, I mean, I could literally... Um, you know, go on and on and on about like watch parties, you know, for the Stanley cup that, you know, all of a sudden there's a fire in one of the concession stands and you're have all this water coming down and you're stuck in the middle of a flood and you're like, what's going on or sprinkler heads popping off in the middle of cold season because of the fact that, you know, they just got so cold and burst your entire entrance and you're flooding out and in the middle of the, everybody coming into the building and you're standing there going yeah. like, what am I supposed to do right now? Um, I mean, there's just literally to request that artists have to, it's just, they could go on and on and on. Now, what are some of the strange ones? I know I had a friend that, um, well, she still manages an arena and, um, she's had a couple times that folks will put in things in the riders that they know they're not going to get, 
but they just want to make sure people are reading it. You know, it's like three live chickens or something like that, you know? Uh, And so what are, have you seen, what are some of those that maybe you've seen if you're, if you're willing to share or or what's maybe one of the just strangest things that you've seen in there that we can accommodate, but it's just a little like, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you definitely see a lot of that stuff because it is to see if you're reading it, but then you will have artists that will come in and be like, you know, I want to completely recarpet this room, even though it's got like some of the fanciest carpeting you have. And then they want like all the toilet, toilet seats removed and redone. So, and like you have to have the plastic over them so that like only it'll be the brand new toilet seat. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously the, I mean, it's amazing what is done to the backstage dressing rooms to, to, and I get it to some extent, because if you were traveling every day, you'd want something that is consistently like your home yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, from food items to, it, it's it's interesting, some of the, the requests, you know, you must face the wall, no one can face the artist as they're walking down the hallway, um, things like that. You see a lot of those too. Only green M&Ms. Yeah. You definitely have seen those. <laughs> Um, definitely have seen those. Uh, so, yes. All right. If, if you could interview anyone or have dinner with somebody, anyone living or dead, uh, who would it be and, and why? You know, I'm not, I'd probably go with like an Eleanor Roosevelt or someone like that. I lately have been getting back, not into the politics at all, but kind of more like just getting back into old. I'm just fascinated by the way people lived back in the, the day. And how they put up with things. Because I think of how spoiled we are nowadays. <laughs> Just be intrigued. So I don't know. Anyone back. After, especially like watching the world of like the ha- Hamilton and like all these different things. I just look at these women and I'm just like, man. I don't know. I can't even imagine wearing a dress like that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> just getting into it. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Just anything like Jeez. that from back in the day. I just was like, man. Like, it's just a different world. Yeah. Yeah. No, I... I'm not uh, not wearing the top hat, so I don't expect I, I anybody to. Like, uh, that's but I, crazy. But... I, yeah, the Roosevelt's fascinating. Okay, well, I don't know why they just well, do. They're pretty fascinating they are. individuals. I Correct. mean, so but they, yeah. they still they fascinate me the most out of anybody. Hey, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, if you could send, and I'll, I'll hit another one after this. So this will be kind of a, a two parter. If you could send a message to yourself, maybe ten years ago. Um, so you're, you're into your career, um, but you're not quite where you are at this point. And then I'll, I'll ask a follow-up about that. I'll even go a little further back with that. But if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, um, what would you say? It's going to be there tomorrow. The work is going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> so you can get up and walk away. Um, and you know, the concept of, I don't, again, don't take things so personal, like trying to figure out a way to not take it so hard or so personal. Like, I mean, it just, and that's, you know, for me, I'm, that's, I wear it all on my sleeve a lot, especially I'm very, very much about growing my staff and about my staff and about my people. Um, And then, but like, I also would take a lot of things personal and I've gotten better with it. But it's hard when, you know, you have a promoter screaming at you and you're the worst building, you, you know, you have the worst deal, you're this, you're the worst, you're the, and like, first of all, everybody, they say it to everybody and you have to, but it doesn't, no matter how many times you tell that to yourself, it doesn't resonate. Still stings. Correct. Even though it is said to every single person mm-hmm. a thousand times. <laughs> 
but not at the same time, Correct. right? Correct. That's the problem right now. So that's good. That's good. Now, if you were, if you could give any advice to those who are either really young in their career, so, you know, um, just entering the workforce or, you know, finishing up their college career uh, and they want to go into kind of the sports, sport business industry, uh, what advice would you have for those folks? You know, I struggle with this one because I, I, I have been an adjunct professor for 10 years. And I think a lot of people look at, you know, me and look at that aspect of it and ask. And I've had a lot of people shadow me in my job and, you know, they've watched me handle myself and deal with situations. And you watch some of the things you deal with and they're like, I can't believe you deal with this. Right. Or I can't believe someone you speak to each other this way. Right. And I think that in the world that we live in, we're getting into this. You can't speak to me this way. This can't. You know, there has to be this bubble around uh, everybody. And I, I hate to say it that way, but in the world I live in and in the industry I'm in, there's no one. It, it is what it is. And I mean, um, and you have to have your big girl pants on and you have to have thick skin and you have to you have to be willing to take it. And um, so, I mean, if you ask me that advice, should I have walked it, my first, the first question you asked, should I have walked away at times or not quote unquote put up with some of the things it's hard to answer that right because a lot of people would say i'm i'm not going to do this you can't but that's what this industry i mean you argue with each other you fight you fight over a hundred dollars you fight over a hundred thousand dollars and so you know when i'm teaching people i say you have to you have to have a thick skin you have to be willing to work those crazy hours and you have to be willing to to put in your time and I have watched tons of my students and I've watched tons of coordinators and managers be like, this isn't, I'm not willing to do this. This isn't for me. Um, and trying to find balance in that, in my mind of, I respect your decision on that, but I also know that, and maybe times will change and, and really will. And I don't know that to say, but I can tell you that the, a lot of the people that have gone before you, this is what it is. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, that it takes a boatload of work to do it. So it's a very, it, this conversation is a very difficult challenge for me because no one gave me a pass. Um, and it is something that you don't get to just go timeout. I don't like the way you're speaking to me right now. Um, you have to fight for it back for yourself and you have to stand up for yourself and you have to be willing to, to have the conversation. Um, and obviously there's certain areas that cross a line, but like there's other things that you're not going to just, get it handed to you. Yeah. Now to piggyback off of that, um, and you may have alluded to it a little bit. Do you think your path has been a little bit different because you're a woman in, in the, what is, you know, is a changing industry, but it's still a largely male dominated industry, especially when you're talking Running on the events side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, when I started off when I was 22, 23 in Texas, I mean, look at all I was dealing with was older white men, general managers. That's all it was. And it was honey, sweetie, da, 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 da. And, you know, like, I mean, that's what it was, especially down in Texas, you know, and point blank, I had, when I was with Feld in the booking role, I had a, a, um, a general manager of a facility tell me you're picking this pretty up pretty quickly to, for being a woman. And I remember walking, <laughs> I remember hanging up the phone and going into my boss's office. And I said, you, I said, this deal is going to, it was a brand new building, but I said, I am never going to screw somebody as badly as I screwed them on this deal. Like, it, and I mean, 
I was very good at what I did. And I was like, oh, no problem. Like, this deal is going to screw you to the wall. And I ended up leaving Feld before the show played. And I called my old boss and I was like, how did it turn out? And he was like, you have no idea how badly they got screwed on that deal. And I was like, great. Like, I just want to make sure that you guys made some good money. Um, and it, like, you're going to hear it. And believe me, I mean, I would walk into rooms still and if it was operations or engineering or certain things. And, but you know, that's what you're going to, you're going to deal with at times. But I also know, um, that, you know, there's things I know I'm stronger at than I'm not. And I mean, it was always a running joke on engineering. Like, I don't really need to know everything of how something flushes. And I just, it's nothing that I was ever interested in. Not because I was a woman, it's just, I have no interest in it. Um, so I think you, you have to look at different aspects of it, but you also have to know when to push forward. And I've been very privileged. I've had different male bosses and female, female bosses that have supported my growth, but, um, I've also worked my tail off, you know, because I'm not going to let something stop me from that aspect of it either. But I mean, yeah, it's a very male dominated industry. So you're at a, a pretty elite position, obviously, um, right now. What's, what's the next step for you? What's, uh, what's, what's the ultimate goal? Um, great question. Since I just changed. Yeah, I know, really I know, I know. Um, you know, I think this is right now, this is where I want to be. Ideally, I wanted to get out of the 200 something jobs, 200 something events, 225 events, find something that I could build, um, and develop, which I think is where I'm at with more balance. Um, because again, there's only so many events a year you can do. Um, but I think this is kind of really where I want to be and then kind of see where that develops out. Um, I've always been also interested in college athletics, but this, but that would have probably lead me back into a lot more events. And right now <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, pretty satisfied. Um, but I think where I am is where really, truly, I think I want to develop and see what can be developed out. Right. Um, it was a great fit when I got the call. It was a great fit. I was like, this is how ideal is this? Hey, uh, obviously, you know, looking at your resume, I am excited because to me, better people we can get here in Cleveland working in this industry, the better off one our students are going to be, the better off this city is going to be for the opportunities that it provides. Um, so, you know, win-win for us here. And I'm saying team presidency. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm, going. That's where I'm saying. I'm saying Michelle's going to be a team president at some point in the next, uh, let's say she's about as old as I am. So I'm going to say within the next next six years. So before she hits a certain that mark like that I won't mention. Work. That sounds like a lot of work. Oh, yeah, <laughs> compared to what you're already doing. Yes. I think you overestimate sometimes team presidents. Uh, no, I'm just kidding to all the team presidents out there. But uh, I think you're doing plenty of the work. All right. So before we wrap up, any questions that I should have asked that I didn't? No, I think my only question whenever I talk to people is why in the world did you get into this and why did you stay <laughs> uh, But I, I mean, no, I think that's, you know, um, any regrets other than those types of things? No, but, you know, I think that's pretty much, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm grateful for every woman I've had. So. so I will ask you that question. Why in the world did you get into this and why do you stay in it? I definitely fell into it. Didn't know that this was, I had no idea this even existed coming out of school because we didn't have facilities courses, at least that I remember. I mainly, okay. I mainly did mis I mainly did marketing and stuff like that. All right. So like, that well, we're going to, you're on that, they're on that Nike vibe, right? So they're, yeah. yeah. But it was also a long time ago. That's yeah. Not, yeah. That's true, also true. Not, I'll give you that. Knowledge that. that it was like, you know, a year ago. Um, so I really didn't know much about that. Um, and why did I continue to do it? 
I've actually, my, my mindset in it over the years has changed mainly just because of the fact I don't have a staff right now, which I have to tell you is, is, is phenomenal because it's nice to have time back for myself. Um, but that was also the hardest thing of leaving was because I had really enjoyed developing people um, and watching people grow and, and helping them kind of build out their careers um, because that was really kind of became one of the most fulfilling things, although it was the most time consuming thing. <laughs> if you're doing it right, it is. It was by far one of the most time consuming things. Um, people ask me all the time, like, why are you here all the time? And I'm like, well, because 80% of the time I'm dealing with people and then, the, then I have to finally do my job. So my other portion of my job, mm-hmm. um, but that was probably the hardest thing to leave was my people. Okay. So, but yeah. yeah, I think that's what that's makes it. you a good leader then. Right. All right. So thank you, Michelle, for taking the time. So we'll wrap up here. Thanks to Michelle Powell, VP for Programming and Development at the Haslam Sports Group. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.